Hello, everyone, and thanks for giving us your time today for VR Download. In case you're new here, each week we meet in virtual reality using the latest technologies to discuss the next generation of personal computing. My name is Ian Hamilton, and I'm in the United States, joined by my colleague David Heaney over here from Northern Ireland. VR brings us together into this studio where we've got multiple automatic cameras, a TV for showing images and videos behind us, and we can see live comments on YouTube on our tablets here in front of us. Please subscribe to our work, support us, and share this link out to others. We have had a monstrously large week of news. We will take your questions and try to walk through all the things Heaney and I have both seen. And thank you so much to Pawowski for tuning in and everyone else. Sorry we didn't have any give any notice before this show. I was able to convince Heaney about 15 minutes ago that we should come in here and talk to you all. Heaney, how are you doing right now? Yeah, so as you can imagine, we've worked a long day today in terms of getting out all the news. <laughs> we still have more articles to write up. There was a lot announced there at Connect, but we hope that what we have on the site right now is enough to cover the main topics. And obviously, by far the main topic is MetaQuest Pro. Rumored for so many leaks in the past months have revealed many of the key specs and features Although, as we learned, some of those rumors were actually wrong, and the final product differs in some fairly significant ways. So if you go to the Upload VR website, you can see an article with my hands-on impressions of Quest Pro. I got to try it in about six, five to ten minute demos. And if anyone has any questions based on those impressions, put it in the chat here and I'll be able to answer. Yeah, people instantly go sounding off on what's going to be better. People asking for our reviews. We are not going to be able to review at this point. I also tried Quest Pro, and it was similar to Heaney's setup, where just a few minutes in the headset. But I did also like my own impressions piece looking at workrooms, and it definitely feels like this headset was made specifically for workrooms in mind. I outlined that in, in an article, but... If you go back about a year when Workrooms launched, they had this feature where they said they built Workrooms from the ground up for hand tracking, and they actually used that to free up the way you use a touch controller. So you actually put the touch controller down on your desk, and you can use it like a marker and mark on a desk out in front of you. And here on Quest Pro, they've even added little pen tips that you can add to the controllers to now mark on the table in front of you from the bottom of the new Quest Pro controllers. It feels really good to be able to finally talk about all of these things. I got to speak to Mark Zuckerberg, Michael Abrash, Andrew Bosworth, and actually got to ask them questions and hear their responses, pick up on where they stand in a lot of different ways. Very interesting discussions. And yeah, Workrooms is pretty cool on this device, Heaney. I really I described it in my hands-on, but the clarity of this display, you tried to break it down in your specs and your articles, but how would you describe the clarity of this display compared to what else you've tried? Yeah, so the improvements here in clarity are not actually from the display itself. It's only got about 10% higher resolution than Quest 2. As I mentioned before, there were rumors that Quest Pro was going to have 2160 by 2160 panels, but they're actually 1800 by 1920, which if you compare that to how many pixels the Quest 2 lenses can see on its display, as I said, it's only 10% improvement. But 
There is a visual quality improvement that comes from the lenses. The switch from Fresnel lenses to pancake lenses are what enable the visor to be a lot slimmer, but it also it also involves higher quality. So Meta claims that it's 25% sharper in the center and 50% sharper on the edges. And that pretty much agrees with what I saw when I went hands-on. So text and UI are sharper and clearer, but you'll still see the kind of aliasing and shimmering that you're probably used to if you use standalone headsets like Quest. So if you're looking for something that's dramatically higher resolution, this isn't it. One thing about the display, though, and to bring in a comment from someone who said that this is an overpriced LCD garbage headset, a lot of people were rightly annoyed by the shift of VR in the past couple of years from OLED, like in the original Rift and Vive and the original Quest, to LCD, because the contrast of LCD is just far inferior, and it can't even display the color black properly. But Quest Pro actually uses quantum dots and mini LED backlighting. So this gives you local dimming and better colors. The result, like I said in my impressions piece, is that this really does feel like a midpoint between LCD and OLED. This is, to be clear, still an LCD display, but the backlighting is significantly more advanced than what you'd find in any other LCD headset except for the Vario Aero, which also has this technology. And I really was impressed by both the colors and the contrast. Meta says... The colors are 30% wider and that the contrast is 70% better and 75% better. And yeah, that completely agrees with what I saw. I'm seeing Daniel Leeper talking about HoloLens, a spare thought for Microsoft currently affected by this. We've talked about this, Heaney and I both. The color pass-through is a huge step forward over the current black and white on a lot of these headsets. But it still feels like you're looking through a bad phone camera. Who wants to look through a bad phone camera at reality around them? Everything is washed out. It's better than what we have now, but it's still a long way to go to have something that's even close to one with reality. I don't know if it kills any kind of direct see-through AR technology, but it's a very big step in the right direction. The one to two our battery life on this means to me that most people are going to use this plugged into a battery pack most of the time. Don't you think, Keeney? Yeah, the battery life was probably the most surprising spec that was revealed. It's one to two hours compared to the two to three hours that you'd find in a Quest 2 or Pico 4. But just to go back on the color pass-through, it's definitely the most surprising difference in hands-on versus what you would expect. If you are expecting the color pass-through to look like real life, as if you're just looking through a transparent screen, you will be severely disappointed. This, I think a lot of people, including perhaps myself and, and maybe Ian, I, I don't want to speak for you, may have had unrealistic expectations of what first-generation color pass-through mixed reality can deliver. It doesn't really even look that much sharper than Quest 2's, although the color is obviously a major improvement. That said... The last demo I tried of color pass-through was Meta said was running on new improved firmware. And in that demo, the color pass-through was dramatically better. This was not different hardware. It was just a software update. And yet 
Whereas beforehand, I couldn't read text on my phone and I couldn't even clearly read the keyboard on the laptop half a meter in front of me. With this headset running the newer firmware, I was able to clearly read text on my phone on a poster on the wall and clearly read all the laptop keys. Now, as I say in my hands-on impression, the trade-off here was that that headset's color pass-through ran at a lower frame rate. So when I moved my head around, you kind of lost that clarity because it wasn't keeping up properly. This is the biggest open question for me for Quest Pro. How will this look at launch? Will Meta ship the first pass-through I tried, which was not much sharper than Quest 2's, just color? Or will it be the second pass-through? Will they be able to sort out getting that second pass-through running at full frame rate? If it's the former, this is going to be very disappointing for people looking for a high-quality mixed reality experience. If it's the latter, then... I think this really does start to introduce mixed reality in a serious way and that becomes a major focus and something that if you're a a developer or a mixed reality enthusiast or early adopter, you would really want to go out and get this headset if it's something you can afford. Pawaski asking, how would you compare the colors and clarity of of Quest Pro to PSVR 2 screens? You're one of the few people that could theoretically answer that even though your time is severely limited in both devices. Yeah, the colors and contrast were better on PlayStation VR 2 because it's using an OLED panel. But there was the problem with OLED panels in general, or at least the vast majority of OLED panels, is it doesn't, they aren't quite as crisp as LCD for a a variety of reasons. The PSVR 2's panel, as far as we know, is a full RGB OLED with three sub pixels per pixel. But there was just a kind of slight green to the image on PSVR that just wasn't there on Quest Pro. So despite on paper PSVR 2 having a higher resolution, to me, in the in the demos I tested, Quest Pro looked crisper. That said, again, we are talking about hands-on impressions here based on 10-minute demos. Neither of these devices are a full review. We we do plan to have a full review available for Quest Pro when it ships on October 25th, just as we plan to have a full review for Pico 4 when it ships on October the 18th. And I would caution on making any conclusions from impressions. Always wait for full reviews. Yeah, so yes, uh, we we are going to keep repeating that again and again, and we'd love to see our commenters sort of reiterate it uh, for our audience that are begging for those sorts of things, because you do really need to wait uh, for those lengthy impressions uh, and and see how this stuff actually works when when tested. Uh, The one thing I think we can kind of talk about is this price uh, being at $1,500. you know, we, we see Pico lining up in the hundreds of dollars, right? Both uh, both Pico's devices with uh, somewhat similar features. Sorry, go ahead, Heaney. Well, we, we don't know the price of Pico 4 Enterprise. And to be clear, what Pico calls Pico 4 Pro in China is not coming to the West as a consumer product. At least that's what Pico told us. They are launching it to businesses in the West. So if you're looking for a standalone headset with face and eye tracking, your choices are this or Vi Focus 3 with its add-ons unless you are a business. And even buying a Vi Focus 3 if you aren't a business is rather difficult, though I believe possible if you go through some sort of convoluted process. So with that said, the I, I want to talk about some of the things you and I have been you know, talking between ourselves about, right? I want to talk about some of these long-term strategic things that are going on here where we had the original Quest headset come out 
was it 20, uh, 2019? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm confusing my years here with everything that's happened. And it didn't stay on the market for very long. It was very, very quickly outdated by Quest 2. And now on the flip side of that, Quest 2 has been on the market for a fairly long length of time in comparison. Um, now we've got this whole new product line here, this Pro. And uh, do we have an expectation it's going to last as long as Quest 2 did, or is it going to be more like the original Quest and get replaced rather quickly? What do you think, Kini? I, I think this will not last as long as Quest 2. By all indications, Quest 2 is going to have a three-year life cycle from late 2020 to late 2023. That second part is our speculation, to be clear. We're just talking about based on all available indications. This is coming out with, as many people are pointing out in the comments, no significant increase in resolution. A a chip that isn't really new. It's just the same chips clocked slightly higher with the RAM moved to the side so that you can support double the RAM. And pass-through that is color and slightly better, but not a step change. In many ways, this is kind of a development kit for mixed reality and face and eye tracking and something for early adopters to get the first features first and something for businesses that they want a headset today. They don't want to wait. If you're a business, you want to, the difference between 400 or 500 and 1500 really isn't that significant if you're using this for real life productivity. Just to answer a few questions in the comments and then we'll go on to talk about is $1,500 overpriced. Uh, Jason asks, will this be sold on Amazon? Yes. Uh, Rudel asks, how is image quality Pico 4 versus Quest Pro? Pico 4 has higher resolution and that's noticeable. I, I have a Pico 4 and I'm working on reviewing it for the embargo on the October 18th. But like I said before, Quest Pro's panels are significantly better when it comes to contrast and color. I went back and used the Pico 4 the day after my Quest Pro impressions and the screen just looks dull and washed out by comparison. A lot of people are always very, very focused on resolution as, is, as if it's the only spec of a screen. But then on the other hand, they ask for OLED, given that, you know, it's resolution is only one aspect of a screen. Given how you're actually using a standalone headset, in the vast majority of standalone apps, the app is not pushing against the limits of the screen. The, the limits are the limits of the processor. It can't render at high enough resolution in a complex 3D app for the screen to be the real limitation yet. Obviously, that's different if you're using something like a virtual productivity app or if you're using PC VR with a very high bandwidth stream. Uh, we are allowed to give sort of basic preliminary impressions of Pico 4, to be clear. So what I would say is that in my testing so far, I've noticed that the issue with that high resolution screen is that the XR2 Gen 1 can't really keep up all the time. There's a lot of apps where I play on Quest 2 and there's no frame drops at all. And then I go to Pico 4 and there are visible frame drops because presumably it's running at a higher default resolution. So I don't think this is as easy as, oh, one's higher resolution than the other. But to be clear, yes, Pico 4 is higher resolution, but Quest Pro uh, demolishes it when it comes to colors and contrast. Yeah, all right. So we can talk about price in a second, but I want to talk about some of these commenters who were expecting or have seen people expecting Quest 3. There are people that came to this party uh, expecting a new low-cost device. And I want to point out the some of the biggest news of today 
probably slipped under the radar relative to this getting out there. But uh, Meta bought two very high-powered VR developers, Camouflage, the developers that brought Iron Man VR to PSVR. They're now part of Oculus Studios. And then they also bought, what is it, Armature, the developers who brought Resident Evil 4 to VR. So those are two very experienced developers at putting massive properties on very tightly budgeted hardware. And you add that to all the other studios that we know Meta has acquired over the years. So Big Box VR, Ready at Dawn, uh, was it Sanzaru? Uh, some developers that have built uh, just incredible, really great VR games. And we don't know <laughs> what many of these devs are working on. They haven't said. And that should be the biggest sort of, I don't know, red flag to anyone out there that this wasn't this wasn't a gaming event. This wasn't a this isn't the next generation quest for gamers. This is, yeah, you can use it for games. But this is a work-focused device aimed at an entirely different market and aimed at doing different things for Meta than that. But I think if you're invested in the Quest ecosystem, invested in, I don't know, hundreds of dollars of Quest games, you have to think very hard about the investment that Meta is putting into those development studios and why they haven't revealed uh, what those devs are working on. If, if, if I have to think about, if I put that context into the fact that this is just an XR Gen 1 Plus, uh, what are those devs going to be able to do with a generational leap in processing power? How impressive could those games get on a Quest 3? So I, I just want to put that out there for people thinking long-term about this stuff uh you've got a, a while here before we're going to get to a quest three but it's it's clear that meta is invested in realizing something big there aren't they heaney yeah the one thing i would say about this is you and others keep repeating that this is a pro headset for work and, and productivity but i would say it's also every bit as much a mixed reality headset this is being pitched as much for mixed reality as it is virtual reality and if you're an early adopter and you want to buy a mixed reality headset, you really have almost no options right now. The Lynx R1 is supposed to launch next month. You could get a Quest 2 and run the grainy, low-resolution black and white pass-through. You could spend $3,000 on a Magic Leap 2 that has a you know relatively tiny field of view compared to this. This is, for many people the first generation of mixed reality and in the same way that in the first generation of virtual reality with the rift and vive you had early adopters buy in for a technology that had very little kind of content it was still rather primitive i think we'll see some people that are just interested in mixed reality go for this thing but as you say if you're a gamer the improvements here are relatively marginal you're getting you know slightly sharper lenses um i'm arguably more comfortable headset and controllers that can kind of go 360 degrees and have enhanced haptics to, to kind of jump straight to the price question, I do not think that if you are a general consumer, this thing is anywhere near worth $1,500. And I would go as far to say as based on my current impressions with it and the spec sheet, I would describe this as overpriced. I don't think this has the specs, features, and content to justify $1,500. 
Mm. Yeah, we've got a long way to go there uh, on assessing that. But the price is sort of a, I think the price is tough because uh, you all that stuff I said about Quest 3, you put it in context of Meta needing to, Meta having changed strategies every six months or so, right? They, they, they rolled out Oculus accounts and they hit us with Facebook accounts and then immediately rolled that back to meta to meta accounts. And that has like rippling effects on everything else. And I think there was a lot going into this where people were expecting meta to continue with that uh, loss leading strategy that they've gone with, with the quest line. And I'm I'm not convinced that they're doing a loss leading strategy here. Uh, obviously, we could be proven otherwise, but I think this is. Do you think they're trying to make a, a profit on this device? Yeah, absolutely. I think what they're trying to do is make a healthy margin on the pro line, so that they can use that money to subsidize the baseline. So I would heavily wager that Quest Three, whenever it comes out, will be either sold at cost or slightly subsidized. And that, you know, the successor to this headset, Quest Pro 2 or whatever it will be called, will be also sold at a high price with a high margin and introduce new technologies. And that's something that is happens in all businesses. There are lots of kind of loss leader products where you sell the mass market product at a low price. And then for people who need the features like this, they're going to still buy it. If you are, like I like I said before, if you're a business and you want to use this for productivity, if you are a professional that wants to use this in some of the Adobe apps that, that were talked about at Connect, 1500 is not a huge amount of money. But if you're an average consumer, obviously it is. Just answer one of the questions in the comments here. So a lot of people are asking, what is the field of view? So the field of view of Quest 2 is 96 degrees horizontal by about the same vertical. That's a Meta's direct quote. The field of view of Quest Pro is 10% wider at 106 degrees horizontal, but it is the same vertical at, a, at 96 degrees vertical. Now, interestingly, Pico 4's field of view is 105 degrees horizontal by 105 vertical. It was actually the first thing you'll notice if you try a Pico 4 is that it has a taller field of view than Meta headsets. But Quest Pro has an ever so slightly wider field of view than Pico 4, but realistically, that's one degrees. So this feels width-wise the same as Pico 4. So I'm seeing a question there asking about refresh rates. It's it's 72 and 90 on this device, right? Y yes, but whereas on Quest 2, Quest 2 is 70 hertz by default and can go all the way up to 120. Quest Pro is 90 hertz by default, but can go down to 72. So it's a very tricky way of uh, managing performance there between those refresh differences. But I'm seeing a lot of comments here. I want to I want to call out a little bit. Andrew Tech saying it's expensive, and we ordered three today: one for me and a coworker, and one for a client. And Adam Hartsell saying the thing would sell bonkers crazy if COVID were just starting. I guess I want to talk a little bit about my workrooms demo a little bit more. Uh, and I, I think people were asking also for the field of view to be broken down a little bit more by Yuhini. But the workrooms demo. So they had a Mac computer sitting in front of me. And I put on workrooms and went inside uh, the various demos, met another uh, a, a 
an employee of Meta who was sitting in another part of the country. They had uh, face and eye tracking, so I could see some expressions on their face. And uh, she showed me some of their features. So uh, they have sticky notes now where you can, like I said, take a marker out, take the Quest Pro controllers down, mark out a quick sticky note, and then throw it up onto their whiteboard. And uh, the thing, I, I described it in my hands-on, I had three large displays above this MacBook. So while I'm wearing the headset that sits comfortably off my face, uh, very light relatively, uh, I've got three giant floating displays in front of me, just like this image here. And like some of these other demos I've had over the years, like the first time I tried hand controllers or saw a chaperone, I took this headset off and I felt let down that I was looking back at this laptop with only one display in front of me. I missed having those three giant displays. So I understand all of the people in the comments saying, I can't imagine this replacing a laptop or even using it in association with a laptop. But there is a level of clarity to this display and to their representation of text that is really, really nice. Uh, and uh, it's it's moving at least closer to that threshold than Quest 2 was of being able to replace some of those things, even if it's not going to be there quite yet, I think. Yeah, I think those are actually very two different questions. Replacing a laptop versus extending a laptop. The demo you're talking about here, I did as well, and I was equally as impressed. And this demo is not of replacing a laptop, it's of extending it. As Ian mentioned, your laptop has this little 13-inch screen that you hunch over in front of you. But with this, with this workroom's personal space, you have these three giant monitors in front of you. This is something I think I will genuinely be using for productivity, especially when I'm on the go. If I'm going to an event, instead of having to imagine the difficulty of transporting three full-size monitors as you travel around, that would be almost impossible and, and ridiculously impractical. But you can put this headset into a little case and bring it around and you get that. I'm really excited to see what happens when this comes into a co-working space. For now, this is something that's only in the personal space in Horizon Workrooms, but there are other apps that allow you to do this in a co-working office. And that opens up a level of kind of shared productivity that just really isn't practical with current screen sharing and Zoom. Yeah, and Bicycle making the comment, I feel like it couldn't replace, what is it? Uh, it couldn't replace a laptop with that battery life, though. And yeah, to Heaney's point, it's not for replacing, it's for extending it. But that's kind of my 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 point there is like, uh, you're going to have to probably wire into the laptop and then wire the laptop into the wall uh, in order to get like a pass-through battery feed into your yeah. Quest Pro and, and really use it for that length of time. Uh, we've written multiple stories in VR. We've tried it over the years to really test over an extended period of time. Heaney, do you expect to be doing a Quest Pro review from inside workrooms? I think I really will try. I think that's a good idea to, to kind of dog food whether VR is ready for this yet. My experience in that demo that we're talking about where you tried workrooms like this, I could totally see myself doing that. Uh, it also means that I'll have kind of more freedom to travel around and still have a viable productivity space. The Some people are asking, as you say, about the battery life. But if you're using this headset seated, you can use it plugged in. The The issue with wired headsets for me isn't 
being seated. I've never had an, a real issue with being seated in a wired headset other than in games where you have to kind of rotate 360 degree on a spinning chair. The issue with wired headsets is that it sucks in room scale. It sucks to try and actively walk around a room or play something like Beat Saber or The Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners, or even a shooter like Onward with a big cable coming out the back of you to the corner of the room. But if you're just sitting down with your laptop and you have the cable uh, coming out of your headset to the laptop, and as you say, the laptop plugged into the wall, I don't see an issue with that at all. So as long as there's no kind of design flaw here, i.e. as long as the headset can take in enough power to not have the battery deplete while you're using it, this seems like more than practical to me. But I, you know, to be clear... For room scale usages, the one to two hour battery life is incredibly disappointing. I just don't think it changes anything about the seated use case. And yeah, that is that that goes back to that kind of like uh, I don't know push and pull feeling that you get out of Meta, right? Like uh, it was really funny. I uh, right after the Connect keynote ended, I went to go uh, to my front door, looked outside, and I had a package. It's the D Link Airlink. Uh, dongle has arrived just from d-link and there's no men there was no mention of it at all right in in the keynote did i miss it heaney i didn't see it mentioned at all no it was not mentioned at all yeah so here's this product that uh they've partnered with another company to get made by and and it's just it's old news right uh and we've had uh gee godin uh in our comments in the past i don't know if he's watching this week but he uh recently got one and he's obviously coming from uh his perspective uh of trying it and basically gave a troubleshooting uh thread over on twitter of what he encountered when using that <laughs> that device uh i'm going to get in there and try it myself but like it's really 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 weird to have gone from Oculus Link to AirLink to now going back in some ways back to using uh, a wired system, but just for power and kind of having to be tethered back again. I don't know. It's 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 strange. Some people are asking about how the actual connection between the headset and the PC works in this situation and the headset and the laptop. It's done over Wi-Fi and Quest Pro has support for Wi-Fi 6E, the 6 gigahertz new spectrum of Wi-Fi, which means that if you have a Wi-Fi 6E uh, router, then it will be, you have a potential for significantly more bandwidth. I remember last week, by the way, a lot of people in the comments were pointing out that uh, they don't like that I say router. Um, because in America it's pronounced router. But just to be clear, I am from the United Kingdom and look it up if you don't believe me, the connect pronunciation in the United Kingdom is router. So I say router if you all really want me to, but does it really matter? Oh, well, I, I say I say router now just to be respectful of your your cultural heritage. <laughs> but um, no, I I refuse to uh, ever say the name of Google's dead streaming service now because of my performance last week. It's dead. Let's let it go. Uh, all right. Do we have any questions there we want to respond to? <laughs> aluminium. A lot of, yeah, a lot of people <laughs> talking about aluminium versus aluminium. Uh, Wolverine is pointing out that the strap isn't replaceable, so you can't upgrade this with uh, third-party straps. Uh, that is true, but I guess the kind of counter to that is that you know this isn't a soft strap. It is counterbalanced, and the battery is actually in the rear, uh, which is one of the reasons that this headset does feel so comfortable. the The front is just the you know the pancake lenses, the compute, the fan, and the displays. The battery is in the rear of the headset. Uh, looking into other comments here, 
should we talk about the controllers a little bit uh more than just the uh the little uh pen uh things they you know this self-tracked people are asking the battery life of the controllers and there's just the quoted numbers given by meta right we don't actually have a quoted uh, number from Meta from for the controller battery life, unless I've completely missed it. I don't think I saw that. And I saw a commenter mentioning that uh, Alex Heath uh, for The Verge uh, talked to Zuckerberg, and supposedly Zuck said it, uh, according to the comment here, that uh, Quest Pro sold at a loss based on that comment. It's interesting because in a, in my briefing uh, with you know Meta tried really hard to avoid that question, like that was put two Meta's uh, leaders by the journalists in the room with me, and they just dodged it three times in a row. Uh, I, you know, when you talk about those questions of cost and loss, it, it, re- it really can be tricked a little bit based on how you count the numbers, right? Like, you could be loss-leading at the beginning, and then uh, by the end of production, you're actually making hundreds and hundreds of dollars on each device sold. Um, and so it's it's tricky to discuss that thing. It's just uh I, I still think there is kind of a switch in strategy there where they they were probably subsidizing Quest to to an enormous degree. And now that's not necessarily uh their their strategy forward, I think. But we'll, there's the other thing. I'm I'm curious if Carmack makes any comments about the the subsidized pricing and uh, the strategy there. There's still that one comment he made on Twitter about price flexibility and uh, what, what how many of these they sell compared to uh, Quest Two is going to say a lot about their pricing strategy going forward. I think. Yeah, I mean, I have to look at that interview, but. As you say, there are many different ways to calculate cost. Do you include just the cost of the components or do you include all of the cost of the research and development? Do you include the costs of paying all of the staff who worked on it? Do you include the cost of funding any content that goes into it? I would be incredibly surprised if this thing is being sold at a a true loss. I don't understand where the components sum up to get to $1,500 in something like this, especially, as you say, when uh, we've seen... Pico selling the Pico Four Pro or the Pico Four for four around four hundred dollars in Europe. Uh, we see that the China price of the Pico Four Pro, which will be the Pico Four Enterprise in the West, is somewhere between six hundred and seven hundred dollars. Yes, ByteDance is likely doing a subsidy of their own, but where, if that is true, if it is true that this is being sold at a loss, I think they've made some wrong product decisions here. They've picked components and gone for kind of things that don't matter because it doesn't feel like it's worth $1,500 to me. If it's the if it's the mini-led quantum lot dot displays that push it up past that, I don't think that was necessary. I think they could have shipped a product that was much lower cost without those. Uh, if it's the controllers, maybe they should offer an option without controllers. Maybe they should let people use the Quest 2 controllers. And other than that, I, I can't really see what is it going to be. You know, there's no... One of the things that I, I want to talk about actually is that we learned from Meta that the depth sensor was dropped sometime in the past five months. There was going to be a depth sensor in this. Zuckerberg himself announced that Project Cambria had a depth sensor, but it is not in the final product. Quest Pro has 10 2D cameras, one high-resolution color camera, four grayscale tracking cameras, 
three face tracking cameras and two eye tracking cameras. There is no depth sensor in this. Oh, you're muted. You're muted. I, I saw someone asking about the box contents. Are these box contents here, Heaney? Yes, this is the box contents. So this, these are the side, are these the side uh, blinders right here? Yes. So that's one thing we haven't talked about or covered here. And it's very strange to go from a quest where I'm, I'm literally experiencing it right now, where uh, I've got that whole goggle thing that's going on where my periphery is just black around these lenses that let me see into this, this virtual world. On this headset, by default, you just see the world around you or the sides of the headset and then the world around you out the, the sides of this device. But it includes these little side blinders that you magnetically connect on either side. And it blocks out those side views, but it doesn't block down. Heaney tried his demos with them in. My demos came with them all out. But it's very, very strange. And I'm so glad that you kind of reinforced this. All the content that's built for the current Quest store is built with the assumption that you're completely blocking out the outside world. That you don't just block out the sides, you block out bottom and top too, and you're completely immersed in another place. And now you're going to be experiencing default out of the box for $1,500, a very different experience, right? Who wants to have a terrifying I mean, maybe, maybe it makes the game more enjoyable, but who wants to go into Resident Evil 4 and have a terrifying Resident Evil experience while still seeing the world around you? That's, that's very different than the, the fully blocked off experience. Maybe it makes it easier to play Resident Evil 4, but I would find <laughs> that to be a little bit of a distracting thing. Um, oh, to, more than to, a little bit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's 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 always present, right? But I'm saying, yeah, there could be certain people who are onboarded into those experiences, knowing they can grab their their friend's arm uh, when they need to, uh, because something scared them so bad in Resident Evil, versus just being lonely, so to speak. I think that's a very narrow use case. Real, realistically, why this thing doesn't have the side blockers by default is that it is by default a mixed reality headset. It is. I keep saying this, but Meta is pitching this thing as much as a mixed reality headset as it is a virtual reality headset. And, you know, if you haven't looked at the images of this, I'll, I'll bring up a few images that show it doesn't actually by default even touch your face. It rests just in front of your face so that you can see the real world from both the sides and from below. As Ian mentioned, you do get in the blocks those side blockers and they will block out your peripheral vision from the side, just like in a VR headset, but it's not from the bottom. And this is incredibly perplexing to me. You have to buy a $50 add-on to a $1,500 headset just to get the full VR experience. Why on earth is, isn't the full light blocker just there in the box? Why is it a separate purchase? And what's really the point of those side light blockers? Why would you want to only block out the side but not below you? Maybe you want to see your keyboard and maybe you want to see, you know, your drink below you. But I, f I feel like you could, you could see that anyway if you just kind of lift the headset up a little bit or look down. You could quickly go into pass-through. It should be the optional accessory, the side blockers, not the full uh, VR blocker. I mean, it's yeah, Ode making the comment that it's about money. Like that's why those decisions get made, right? It's a smaller, it's a cheaper package to ship out the door. the The thing that, from my perspective, I mean, though, is I'd rather a lens cover 
that really protects the lenses. If I'm buying this expensive of a hard piece of hardware, I'm going to theoretically want it to last a couple of years and I'm not going to want any scrapes or scuffs on those lenses. So I would love to have uh, more protection for those lenses long term. So interestingly, there is a front cover that comes in the box because the front of the headset is a finger magnet, just like a lot of modern technology products for some weird reason. Uh, they're not really designed to actually be handled. They're designed to look good. Uh, so you do get a cover in the front, but you don't get a lens cover. But then again, I don't think any VR headset that I can think of comes with a lens cover. I know VR cover, the aftermarket accessories company will give you a lens cover with most of their VR covers, which are very useful. But if you're putting this thing back in a case or you're kind of handling it gently, you shouldn't really end up scratching the lenses unless you're a glasses user. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. I see Bradley in our comments. Hello, Bradley. Uh, big day for VR News. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for everyone who's tuning in. We've got a lot of people tuning in today, and we're building towards the Carmack keynote coming right after this, which I don't know. If you've never seen a Carmack keynote, uh, he comes out and starts talking without with, with maybe notes that give him a little bit of like subjects to get into. But it is full on, uh, just stream of consciousness, and he just you know pauses for breath for an hour plus. It's wild uh, to see. So that is coming up very, very, very soon. Uh, we will be uh, restreaming uh, the Carmack keynote on our channel for people that want to see it uh, outside of YouTube. Great question here from Gozasan. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, uh, they ask, can you compare Pico 4 pass-through to Quest 4? So if you're not aware, Pico 4 also has color pass-through. And both companies are not just showing you direct feed from the cameras because everyone's eyes are a different distance apart and the cameras are not positioned exactly at your eyes. They're obviously positioned you know, in front of your eyes. So if they were just to show you a raw stream, it would look very wrong. There have been kind of prototype headsets that I've tried, and I'm sure Ian have tried to try that in the past. Awful experience, instant sickness. They both use computer vision algorithms to sense the perspective of each camera and reconstruct it into a color pass review. Quest Pro's 3D reconstruction is significantly better than Pico 4's, though, in my time with Pico 4. Pico 4 seems to work at a distance, but once you get anywhere near the headset, the scale is just completely off. It looks like you're a, a tiny little person, like a the size of a human hand, looking out onto a huge environment. If you've ever tried 360-degree flat videos in VR, you'll know what the experience looks like. Uh, so Pico 4's pass-through is not being pitched for mixturality, to be fair. Pico has, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, not talked about a mixturality SDK yet. They haven't you know, released any mixturality apps on the store. They are pitching the Pico 4 as a purely VR headset, whereas Meta is pitching theirs as a mixturality headset. And you know, one, the thing I will say about, we talked kind of badly about Quest Pro's pass-through quality earlier on, but the, the 3D aspect of it is, is essentially perfect. There is some distortion on objects, but the scale and the depth looks completely correct. And the, because the tracking is also rock solid, virtual objects really do look like they are sitting there on the floor. It's actually, you actually have to remind yourself which objects are real and which aren't. There was a moment in my demo 
where I went to place the controllers down on a table. But because there were so many virtual tables around me in this mixed reality experience, I actually forgot which was the real table. So I had to lift up the headset and remind myself so I didn't end up dropping the controllers in midair onto a fake table. So this is something that no... AR headset I've tried with see-through displays has actually gotten right yet. Uh, the Unreal Light, for example, there's always that little bit of tracking jitter that doesn't look quite right. But because Quest Pro's tracking is rock solid, you get completely accurately positioned virtual objects in real space. So two things I want to talk about. I did see this question up there higher on our comments uh, asking about whether we think the Quest, the, the Touch Pro controllers are going to be compatible going forward with the Quest 3. Uh, my guess would be uh, yes, but I'm uh, the we don't have any information on that. That's just a guess. The trick there and the thing that Heaney and I go back and forth talking about is what do the bundling packages look like going forward? We've talked about that on previous shows, but how exactly does Meta transition its ecosystem of apps that are made for controllers to apps that are predominantly uh, hand tracking only. Uh, and I just want to talk about Figman XR. So that was one of the demos Heaney and I both tried. It is a sort of a playful creativity app with lots of different little tools inside of it. But one of the tools inside of Figman that is, uh, so it's coming to Quest Pro and I think it'll run on Quest 2. Uh, but um, it's coming when Quest Pro launches. I think that's when it's launching. And uh, they have put all of Tilt Brush inside of Figment XR. So uh, Google made Tilt Brush or Google bought Tilt Brush from these devs uh, and then immediately uh, killed it. Uh, after a couple of years, it got open sourced into uh, the internet. And I always love the quote from one of the creators there saying that this is immortality. Uh, and that's that's what we're seeing. So when I, when Tilt Brush got open sourced, it was like immortality for that project. And here we have it living on a couple years later on standalone Quest Pro hardware. And the thing about it was uh, painting was done with a pinch gesture like this in midair, and it felt as good as a controller to me. I don't. It wasn't long enough to really make that assessment. But I could have spent as much time playing around with that painting, this, with this interface, as I have done with the Tilt Brush interface with the Pro, with the with the regular touch controllers. He knew, I saw you nod to that. Was that your experience too? Yeah, the hand tracking is noticeably better, which is surprising because we thought that was going to be achieved through the depth sensor. But what I what I speculate is happening here is that it's because the cameras on the front are higher resolution than Quest 2. They're able to see more detail in your hands and therefore it's more reliable. I did that exact same demo Ian is talking about where you could pinch with your hands and draw in 3D in midair and it was completely reliable. On Quest 2, if you're doing that while you're also moving around in your headset, you can sometimes get a kind of glitch and hitch and you know, if you were drawing something in 3D, you would see all the little kind of uh, jitters show up in what you're drawing but that did not happen in the Quest Pro demo. Uh, just to explain what we have on screen here, uh, some people were asking in the comments and Ian was referring to the fact that the Quest Pro's controllers later this year will be sold separately for $300 to be used by Quest 2 owners. And this is what you get in that package if you buy that. Because these controllers charge wirelessly in the Quest Pro dock, 
Meta includes this kind of secondary mini dock specifically for the controllers when you buy them. And presumably, yeah, they would also be compatible with Ford uh, products like Quest. Yeah, I've done a couple double takes of this image here, getting a little confused by it. But yeah, this is the wall charger goes into the wall, then it's got a USB to this uh, charging station. And then you put these two controllers on top of the charging station. And yeah, the thing Heaney and I have talked about uh, is how how does pricing work, right? And that's the thing that would be so fascinating to hear more from Carmack when he does his keynote uh, is there, you know, was the... Did costs really go up for Meta um, in manufacturing the Quest 2, or did they more boost the price of the Quest 2 in order to bring it more in line with where they're going to have to price the Quest 3? So, Heaney, we've done some reporting on this, and uh, Bradley out there has gotten some of the info out there on suggesting what the next Quest consumer scale device is going to be and we have an expectation that it's going to have uh, a much better processor probably the pancake you know the pancake lenses and a wider field of view um and then i don't know if it's going to have better sensors right if if this if quest pro dropped the depth sensor maybe it has great uh hand tracking because of a I just lost all my hand tracking here. I don't know what happened there. Maybe I touched the <laughs> controllers uh, right as I'm talking about hand tracking. Uh, but we would assume that they're going to have much better hand tracking on that device. It'll be a much better fit, and then there will be more power for gamers there. But beyond that, it's hard to imagine Quest 3 being uh, similar to Quest Pro in things like face and eye tracking, right? There's a lot of cameras taking a lot of the power out of this chip, and that doesn't make sense for gamers, I don't think, right? Yeah, the indication we have from the leaks and findings so far is that the biggest change in Quest 3 by far will be the chip. As we mentioned before, this is using a very similar chip to what's found in Quest 2, just supporting more RAM and more sensors. But Quest 3's chip, based on uh, looking at how Qualcomm's chips have improved and the import logs that were found by Somalia should have a GPU that's twice as powerful as Quest 2. You can look into our website or the video by Sadly It's Bradley for more details on this. Um, so that, again, this is a product that, as we said, is focused on mixed reality, early adopters, and productivity, not so much as being something better for gamers. If you are someone who is very wealthy and $1,500 is, means nothing to you, this is going to be a better gaming experience than Quest 2, sure. But it's not a more than three times the price worth for anyone who, you know, for the vast majority of people, $1,500 is a lot of money. I think that's a fair statement to say. I'm just going to run through the comments here to get answer a lot of questions uh, that we've seen in the comments. Uh, someone is asking, uh, is it, when you turn the headset on, is it the same interface as Quest and Quest 2 with the same games in the same store? The answer is yes. It's running the same operating system, accessing the same store as Quest 2. Uh, another person is asking, should they get the Quest 2 or Pico 4 for gaming? Uh, if you're in the United States, there is no indication that Pico 4 is going to be sold in the United States anytime soon. So the answer there is Quest 2. Uh, if you're in Europe or South Korea or Japan, 
We will have a full review when Pico 4 ships on October 18th, and I would recommend that you wait for it because I'm going to go into detail the ways in which these two headsets differ and give you a recommendation based on your personal needs and preferences about which you should go for. So please wait for that. Uh, I want to reiterate all the stuff we have on uploadvr.com and on our YouTube channel here. I'm seeing people catching up to some of this, but yeah, Walking Dead Chapter 2, we've got a trailer, an uncensored trailer with the just the goriest scene that I think I've ever seen. Uh, there's a scene in there where uh, a person is hanging from a ledge and they try to climb up. A zombie comes after them out the ledge. Uh, the You punch the zombie and then stick your finger in his eye hole and pull him out of the window and throw him to the ground. It is the goriest thing. And I just, it, it cracks me up to think about that scene in comparison to just, you know, seven years ago now or wherever it was when we had the climb uh, with a gamepad controller and you had to like do the little triggers thing to do the gripping thing either way. We've come a long way where you're, you know, doing that kind of damage to a zombie. We will plan to stream the Carmax keynote on our channel. We won't probably do it MST3K style, but I know Kyle uh, is very excited for that idea long term. So we're going to have to think about trying to do those types of uh, streams uh, somehow down the line. Um, but uh, some of the other stuff we've got on our channel uh, and on our on our on uploadvr.com. I spoke to Michael Abrash, Mark Zuckerberg, Thomas Reardon, who is the head of Control Labs and the basically the person in charge of the the wristband effort. So uh, I got to talk to each of these people, ask them questions. I also spoke to um, the head of the Avatar effort and got a real good glimpse into Meta's long-term strategy here. And, you know, Heaney and I come into the studio day in and day out with the, you know, with the dumbest avatars, right? This is this is going to look ancient in a couple of years. You've done magic with them to lip-sync us up to these avatars. But we've got a long path ahead. But there, you know, there is a path ahead for Heaney and I to eventually one day do this show where it feels like Heaney is actually in this room with me. And that was one of the technology demos I got to see when I went to uh, Redmond uh, Meta's headquarters in you know the Seattle area, or Meta's research area in the uh, Seattle area. There was a demo where I was wearing a Rift S, and a researcher from Meta in Pittsburgh was wearing a research-grade headset and they had been scanned using Meta's, they call it a socioptican, right? Can you? Can, I can't even imagine like a like a scarier, more uh, more imposing name than this. But that you go inside this scanning unit for hours, getting set up, and then they process your avatar for up to weeks at a time. But on the other end of that monstrous process, there is a digital version of you. There is a codec avatar that matches and can believably make someone interacting with you in VR believe that they're interacting one-to-one with a real person. So I was in Redmond, and this researcher was in Pittsburgh on the other side of the country, 
And I put on the Rift S as quickly as I could. I, I, I pushed all the other journalists out of the way uh, to, to see this. And sure enough, I, I have to say that this person felt like they were in front of me. I moved my head left and right, and their eyes followed me as I moved uh, exactly as I would expect them to. They also had this demo where you could uh, control the lighting, and I could, I could basically change the lighting in real time around this person's face. And uh, right after that demo, I went to the booth next to this uh, demo, and I tried what they can currently do with a cell phone capture system. And so this, I, I just described, you know, weeks of processing to pull out an avatar like that. Here's an avatar that just takes a few minutes to capture with uh, a phone. And you'll see it here in a minute. I don't like this avatar. It creeps me out. I get the willies uh, looking at what this avatar looks like in VR. This is deeply in the Uncanny Valley. So people who aren't familiar with the concept, the Uncanny Valley describes this idea that as the avatar looks more and more realistic, you reach a point where it's actually not quite right enough that it looks really, really, really creepy. And it's the, the valley is where all of these creepy avatars are. And the way her face is moving around here, her eye movements, it looks like a badly, like, uh, badly rendered robot to me uh like there's there's machinery under there instead of a person and that was the demo right next to this really impressive codec avatar 2.0 demo and then they had a third one which was clothing and so i could change uh the clothing on a person as they're jumping up and down and i talked to uh yasser sheik after these three demos and tried to get out of him you know, how far away is this? Because it's really, really, really weird that Meta is shipping this Quest Pro with face and eye tracking in it. And what we're seeing is those avatars that Zuckerberg showed where it, it doesn't look anywhere close, on anywhere near this in, in the strongest stretch of the imagination. And Yasser Sheik said... Uh, that the challenge in getting those codec avatars uh, to everyday consumers is going to be the combination of these demos I saw. So Meta is making this long-term bet that, yeah, you're going to have to be able to scan yourself as easily as with a cell phone. You're going to have to put it into the compute, possible in a device as slim as this. And... Uh, they're working on it, right? So I talked to Zuckerberg, and he pointed out that uh, there are they're going to be reducing headcount at this company going into 2023. So that's previous reporting we have. But in Zuckerberg's way of putting it, they're going to focus on four platforms going forward. Horizon and its avatars, as well as uh, AR headsets or devices, VR headsets and devices, and this neural wristband that is the last part of my my day with Meta, where uh, Zuckerberg basically did this live demo in front of us. He didn't let media, at least in my group of journalists, actually wear the wristband. Uh, I, I'm dying to, to learn and try this wristband so I can really wrap my head around how the training works. But the idea is uh, that you're going to wear this wristband and you're going to learn how to make slight or even 
the subtlest of movements and be able to interact with UI that's floating in front of you just doing these slight little movements. And that's kind of the pathway in their head for how we're going to interact with computers over the next uh, 30, 50 years or something like that. Um, Very, very, very long-term thinking there. And it's coming as Meta is kind of focusing on these few projects. So we've seen lots of ideas out of Meta over the years, things all over the board. Uh, we've also seen these various headset design prototypes. I got to see the wall of them, Heaney, of all the different headset prototypes that they've tried over the years. I asked at the outset, how many of these are half-dome prototypes? And they joked, yeah, most of them or a large set of them are half-domes. And if you're not familiar with half-domes, Meta tried these things where they had mechanical devices moving inside of your headset in order to give you a more realistic visual image. And they spent years developing generation after generation of these ideas only to realize the only thing that matters, and this is what Abrash said at the end of the day, the big thing that matters is how do you scale it? How do you get this technology out to hundreds of millions or billions of people? And ultimately, that's what we're expecting to see out of this next phase of Meta. I don't think we're going to see as many off-the-wall research projects. I think we're seeing the research teams becoming the product teams at Meta, uh, if not this year, then in the next few years. But that is kind of echoing some of the things we've heard, where they have to figure out how to put all of this technology uh, into a device that you can buy for less than $1,000. And this first-generation Quest Pro, maybe it's not capable of doing uh, what we needed to do, Heaney, where, where I want to feel like I'm actually here with you in this studio. And we do expect that we're going to get there, but uh, it's probably not till Quest Pro 2 or 3 that we even um, get even close to it. Oh, yeah, at the minimum. You know, the the Kodak Avatars demonstration that was shown at Connect, especially... Mark Zuckerberg's Kodak avatar is incredibly impressive, but it is important to note that these are technologies that are likely many years away. This is not something that's going to drop next year or the year after, or I would even say the year after that. But let, let's talk a little bit about what is coming in the short term, uh, which is that Quest Pro does have this face and eye tracking capability. As you say, it doesn't have the computing power to do things like Kodak avatars, but it does have these sensors that will be able to deliver map your facial expression and your eye movement to your avatars and to answer some of the commenters questions here yes we do intend to eventually have this in the studio when we have quest pro you will in time be able to see our real expressions because right now you're not seeing our real expressions our eye movement is simulated based on marking different objects in the virtual room with different saliency levels our face movement is simulated based on the microphone input and finding out what do those vizimes most likely correspond to in terms of mouth movement but quest pro is as far as i'm aware the has the most advanced face tracking shipped in any vr headset something like the htc uh vive face tracker that is attached on to the Vive Pro series or to the Vive Focus 3 uses only one camera in the nose gap, whereas Quest Pro has two cameras in the nose gap and one camera in the upper face in addition to the two eye tracking cameras. So this is something that we'll be very interested to see in the real world. 
uh, lots of apps are going to be updating with this because meta avatars are going to be supporting it from the Quest launch. And, you know, we talked about those two different use cases for Quest Pro productivity and mixed reality, but part of that kind of productivity use case is also collaboration. It's one of the main uses of VR in large companies and enterprise is being able to be in a shared space and see three-dimensional objects or a shared whiteboard and be surrounded by avatars such that you can talk to someone with spatial audio. If they, if someone's to your left, you turn to your left and talk to them, just like in real life. If someone's on your right, you turn to your right and talk to them. That's something that's just not really possible in a Zoom call. And what Quest Pro will do is mean that businesses that are doing this have a much greater sense of uh, social presence because you can really see people's reactions in real time. We've only really seen in the demos that Meta showed off this mapped to very low quality uh, avatars that were designed for headsets like Quest 2 that don't have face or eye tracking. But as Meta teased in the Connect uh, keynote, they are working on significantly improved graphical fidelity avatars for release. I believe they said they're targeting next year. And it'll be really interesting to see what it looks like when Quest Pro's face tracking and eye tracking is driving those avatars. Because as far as I could see, what Zuckerberg showed in that segment was not a real-time view, but was actually CGI. And ironically, the, the lip tracking was actually pretty bad because it was probably done afterwards as a manual animation. The lip tracking was not even as good as what we're having in this studio today. Wait, so I'm really interested to see what that looks like when they actually have real avatars. I think he did actually appear in Horizon Worlds, right? I, I saw people on comment, I saw Bosworth and others uh, commenting that Zuckerberg came out on a stage in Horizon Worlds as that, uh, as that avatar, but I, the lip sync I don't was think that miserable. was real. Well, I really don't I, think that was real. If you look at the movement, it didn't look like it was being driven by a VR headset. It didn't. It was almost certainly pre-animated. It looked like a, a pre-animation. So he could have come. So you're saying he could have come out on stage, but you're doubtful that he uh, he actually did it live. He was a pre pre-recorded human uh, put into the present. Uh, because I what I read, uh, what I saw was people rushed the stage to try to get close to Zuckerberg, which is, uh, of course, people I guess would do that at the moment. Uh, you're face to face with. Uh, the person who's in charge of uh, oh, those all are, those things that Facebook I think does. you're talking about two separate things here. Did Zuckerberg appear in Horizon Worlds? Yes, but was he was the segment where he showed the future avatars in Horizon Worlds? Of, of course not. That was, that was definitely not something that was in the public Horizon Worlds build. Well, I have, we'll see. It was a completely uh, different avatar system. Well, okay. Uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see after this whether uh, that actually happened or not. Uh, we are getting close, I think, to Carmack doing his presentation. Um, I do recommend going to uploadvr.com and seeing all of the things that we've got on there. Uh, we've never quite had this volume of reporting, as you know, combined with this much hands-on, uh, direct, you know, time. To, to kind of ask Meta and or Facebook what's going on, how does this work? He has done some really fantastic work to break down the chip layer here, how much power we're actually getting out of the Quest Pro device. Uh, there's marketing layers that we have to kind of push through where people are, you know, want to make this stuff sound like it's more powerful than it is. Uh, where at the end of the day, things like those, all those additional sensors on this device uh, aren't necessarily 
you know, are leaving you with less than some of the marketing material would suggest. Uh, oh yeah. The legs demo. Uh, you think the legs demo was pre-rendered, right? Yeah. I'm talking about the demo where you come on stage with a completely different avatar graphics that looked like what was teased a few months ago where, you know, it's, it doesn't look anything like this. It's a completely different one. He's walking yeah, around okay. in the demo. It's, it's either they're using some sort of prototype body tracking system, or it was a pre-recorded, uh, pre-animated sequence. The, so, the, the audio quality clearly wasn't also coming from a headset microphone. It was a professional microphone. Uh, it was it was a pre-recorded sequence. I'm not saying there's a problem with that. It's it's cool to show concept art, but it wasn't. It definitely wasn't being driven directly by the lip sync. It wasn't even close to the correct lip sync. So uh, I'm seeing people asking about the privacy concerns involved with the uh, this technology. It's it's top of our mind. We will keep an eye out on how the privacy policies change. But it is. Uh, we also saw the question of whether we bought them. Yeah, Kyle, uh, we planned ahead on this. Kyle planned ahead on this. Make sure we've got the money set aside to uh, get these headsets. And I have every expectation that once we actually have Quest Pros in our hands, I I think it's very unlikely I'm going to want to wear Quest to come into the studio anymore. And that's beside the question of whether I manually turn on the face and eye tracking functionality in here. Um, but to that question of privacy and safety, um, you can come up with, you know, you can make your own decisions about whether you choose not to be a customer or not of Meta or Pico for that matter, or Apple or any other company that's making hardware. But I did find it very interesting. This uh, These codec avatars that I'm talking about you know, we are years away from that technology making it to consumers, right? And uh, they have made a decision internally inside Meta to not let a person drive somebody else's codec avatar. So when I uh, communicated with this person over in Pittsburgh and I was in Seattle, uh, I had a reasonable expectation that it was actually the person I was speaking to uh, they, because they've made this ethical decision not to let other people drive avatars. Uh, I've asked this question over the years. Uh, we are going to have headsets that authenticate the user based on their biometric data, right? It's, it's already there. We've got HoloLens and Magic Leap devices that do this with your iris. Uh, it's it's a, it's kind of un, where all of this is going, and ye, we do have to kind of ask the question: Why are we trusting companies to authenticate? Um, you know, Apple gets a free pass for the way it uses Face ID and uh, to authenticate users. The, my only question is: Why wouldn't you give? meta uh, a chance i guess at this point to prove uh that they can handle that data at the same level that facebook has now you can uh make ethical arguments about all of the things facebook has done in the past uh that have you know misused handling data that's perfectly good reason not to give them that chance but i'm just i'm going to put it out there that uh there are there are these discussions happening at research levels where they are trying to take into account the the long-term impact and the way yasser uh this person who's been in charge of some of their avatar research put it to me is 
if you accept the premise that he and their team are building the next generation of one-to-one communications, right? That they are going to achieve something equivalent to the telephone uh, for the 21st century. Uh, You have to trust that the person that you're speaking to is the person that you're speaking to, that it's not a a person wearing... (laughs) Uh, your friend's bodysuit, right? It's, it's not an imposter. And so there are very interesting, you know, scary questions about authenticity long-term. Uh, maybe we don't want to put all that control in the hands of just a couple companies, but how else do we achieve it if we want to visit with our family and friends even though they had to relocate to a different part of the world or country? Uh, you know, those are very different places for us to talk about and we're going to keep getting into it again and again in the coming months and years but i just i wanted to make sure it was out there that um, meta has thought about these things uh at least long term uh you can make your own choices about whether you trust them as a company you can you know just not buy the hardware and delete your facebook account that's that's available to everyone yeah and we, i think we need to separate from a technical level the privacy concerns about raw imagery from sensors versus the kind of the numbers that come out of it, the data that comes out. So face tracking and eye tracking are both optional on Quest Pro. You can turn them off if you're not comfortable with them. When it comes to the actual imagery that the cameras are seeing, that never leaves the device. It is not transmitted over the network. It is not kind of sent to meta in any way. The the processing happens on the chip. The chip looks at those images and figures out where your eyes pointing, how much are you blinking, which parts of your face are moving in which ways and creates a kind of mathematical representation of that. And then each app gets access if you give it permission. There's a permissions dialogue, just like on your phone, to that mathematical data that represents your face and eye state. So you kind of need to, from a privacy perspective, decide whether you trust each individual developer, Meta being one of those developers with his apps like Horizon Worlds. But you know, James O'Loughlin's bringing up here that Apple has custom secure chips for handling sensors. That's also present in Qualcomm's chips. They also have a part of the chipset that's designed for securely handling uh, private data. And as, as Ian was alluding to earlier, we already live in a world where we carry around devices with high resolution sensors that have, you know, multiple microphones on them or smartphones. There's a camera on the front, there's a camera on the back, there's microphones all over it, and it's running. You know, if you're an Android user like I am, you're running software from a massive targeted advertising company, Google. If you're going to buy a Meta headset, you're also using a device that has a range of camera sensors on it from a targeted advertising company, Meta. With Apple, you can argue that, you know, maybe its incentives aren't there for data collection because it makes a hardware profit. But a lot of the recent reporting around Apple has shown that one of their uh, future verticals that they're very interested in is expanding their advertising business. And if you're an iOS user, like I am with my iPad, you'll notice that Apple itself is starting to introduce uh, first-party ads across many of its first-party services. So this is one of those things where uh, you're going to have to kind of trust each individual developer on that or decide what you give permission to use your face tracking data or not. Well, we need to get going, I think, to get ready for Carmac. Uh, I think he's going to be speaking very soon. Uh, I want to yeah. say thank you uh, to Heaney for his incredible work getting all of this news out and Harry Baker out there. Uh, we've, they've just been really at it for uh, 
a long time now making sure that we are uh, providing you as accurate and timely information as possible about this. We will be back in here next Tuesday, I believe, uh, for the, you know, we'll have follow-up stuff uh, related to this. And it is going to be a push into the end of this year as we've got all those new games coming out. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Please share this link out. Uh, get the word out about uh, Upload VR, and please consider becoming a member. Anything you want to say before we head out here, Heaney? I was just going to say, if anyone has any final questions that you want us to answer about something about Connect or Quest Pro, now would be the time to answer it while we're just wrapping up here. Obviously, we'll be back on Tuesday to talk again about VR. We do this show, if you're, if you're tuning in just for the first time, we do this show every Tuesday. So we'll be there to take any future questions you have. But yeah, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. It's been a great discussion in the comments. Uh, We've had a lot of great questions and hopefully we've been able to answer all of your main questions. If you have further questions, you can probably find us on Twitter or as I said, uh, next month. Yeah, well, we'll be uh, we'll be back next very week. soon. Yeah, next week. Yeah, we're both uh, dead. We're both very very tired. And then at the end of this, we go and watch Carmack, and he just stops. He doesn't stop talking. You start processing what he said about thirty seconds ago while he's still saying something new. Uh, if you've yeah, if you've not experienced it, go tune into him and see uh, see what that happens. So yeah, again, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Stay tuned for more. So the question, we have got one interesting question I really wanted to cover from Martin McGurk, who asks, any word on room mapping? Does the depth sensor mean it will auto map walls and tables and so on? So as we said earlier in the show, the depth sensor was dropped. Quest Pro does not have a depth sensor. At launch, you will have to mark out your walls, your ceiling and your furniture, just like you do on Quest 2. And to me, that's one of the biggest sort of downsides of mixed reality on quest pro but meta has said that they are exploring automatic plane detection so remember that quest one launched with no hand tracking and with 2d pass through and with no oculus link and by a year after it had all of those things so i would expect that quest pro because it has this wide range of sensors will get significant software updates over time that will probably bring in mixed reality features like detecting your walls and detecting your furnitures and maybe even coming up with an automatic guardian system like you see a proto version of on playstation vr2 and one of the things that is actually not at launch for the face tracking on quest pro is that it doesn't track your tongue khdc's face tracking does so that's another thing i would expect to happen down the road Meta devices typically launch with kind of bare-bones skeleton software, and over time they fill in the features with regular, usually monthly software updates. All right. Yeah, thank you for that. And yeah, thank you for mentioning there about the uh, the tongue. That bothered me that I uh, couldn't stick my tongue out at the mirror uh, in that demo. All right. We'll see you in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, everyone.